Welcome to the Vital Voices podcast, Power to Empower series. 2020 was supposed to be the start of a bold new decade. Instead, unprecedented global crises have radically shifted our reality and have put the life and death consequences of good leadership on display. Time and time again, we've seen that women leaders stand strong in the face of challenges. Women are stepping forward with creativity, compassion, using their courage to encourage others, their bold ideas to embolden communities, and their voices, positions, and power to empower us all. That's why we're celebrating their power, potential, and purpose. In our new book, Vital Voices, 100 Women Using Their Power to Empower, and bringing their stories to life on this podcast. In this series, we're speaking with women leaders about their journeys, their lessons learned along the way, and their thoughts on leadership and the path forward. Thanks for joining us. I'm your host, Elise Nelson. Today, I'm honored to be joined by a groundbreaking woman leader, Hindu Umaro Ibrahim. Hindu is an expert in indigenous people's rights and climate change, and is one of the world's leading experts on traditional ecological knowledge and how that knowledge can apply to climate change, mitigation, and migration. From an Imburu pastoralist community in Chad, Hindu works to empower indigenous voices and ensure their inclusion on international platforms. She is hard at work advocating for indigenous voices at the intersection of two of our world's greatest challenges, climate change and human rights. Hindu, thank you so much for taking the time to be with us today. Hi, it's really a great pleasure. Thanks for the invitation. So you, of course, are part of our, our new book, 100 Women Using Their Power to Empower. And I remember the first time that I met you and we, we spoke via phone and just how incredibly inspired um, all of us on the line were to hear about the extraordinary work that you are doing. You're part of the Association for Indigenous Women and Peoples of Chad, um, an organization that works to improve indigenous populations' living conditions by promoting human rights and protecting the environment. Can you tell us a little bit about how the organization got started and some of the work that you're engaged in today? Sure. So my organization that called it Indigenous Women in People Association of Chad, uh, I found it when I was young. So it was at the age 15, 16. And then the reason that I found it was being an indigenous uh, girl and getting the chance to go to school thanks to my mom. So I have been marginalized at the school. So the kids don't want to sit next to me. They say, you feel my milk and you are coming from the bridge and whatever. But when you are a kid, you do not think about that there is marginalization. You think about what I can do better that those kids can accept me. So then I start to work like hard and showing them that I'm also a human being. I can do whatever that they can do. And when I get the teenagers, I understood that I really got lucky. I understood the two worlds from my communities and then outside at the Western school. How about the young girls in my age who didn't get this chance, who didn't went to school? They might be doubly marginalized by others. And then I decided to fight for those girls. And when I started, 
to talk about the rights of those girls, I immediately understood I cannot talk about the rights of girls without talking about the rights of the communities in general. And immediately I understood also I can't talk about human rights as what one aspect without talking about the environment right because my people depend from the environment the healthy of our environment it's the health of my people and then the two objectives come protection and promotion of human rights including the indigenous people rights and protecting the environment in general in order to allow it my people to live in a healthier ecosystem. Can you talk a little bit about how you have seen climate change impact your community? Yeah, I mean, this is the hard part because when people talk about climate change, maybe some of them reading it through the books or watching just some movies in the TVs, but in my community, we are living in our daily best the climate impact. We are living it because we are seeing our season change a lot. Our dry season becoming very long with a very hot weather up to 48 degrees Celsius to 50 degrees Celsius. And in the desert, it can be go up to 54 degrees Celsius. And our rain season becoming much and much shorter with a heavy rain that can draw the flood, this is exactly what is happening this year, or not enough rain that will end up with a drought. So this change for us become very often those last year, and it's impacting our social life, creating conflict between communities that fighting to access the shrinking resources and the realities of our life becoming under how we can manage our time to get access to those resources or how we can fight each other. And that is so often lead to the food insecurity because these years what is happening, all the Sahel regions is getting under flood. In the big town that people used to use cars and the motorbike, they now using a canoe to go from one neighborhood to another one. And people becoming homeless. They do not have a shelter to stay and they have less food or whatever to live. So it's attacking not only our environment, but it's attacking our human dignity. Climate change for us becoming a nightmare that we're experiencing every day. And being in this community, where people do not depend from the end of the month's salaries, they depend from the rainfall. So immediately you are seeing your life destroying from the climate impact that we didn't create at all. Mm. So your organization at its heart is really doing incredible advocacy work, raising awareness and allowing people to understand exactly what you're saying, that if you're not relying on your monthly paycheck, but instead the rainfall crops, the earth to, to nourish you, to provide your, your food, your shelter, climate impacts you in a very different way. And the work that you do is really at that nexus point between climate and, and obviously climate change and degradation and human rights and how this disproportionately impacts indigenous communities 
in Africa, but really around the world. Can you talk a little bit about the advocacy and how you are making people aware of the situation? Yeah, so for me, that people who are getting the front line of climate change are not the one who are deciding on how we can act on climate negotiation or how they can design a new world. So all the international communities who are focusing on climate negotiations think firstly about the economy how they can save them on economy, how they can become a more powerful, then they say like, okay, we can resolve climate change, but we wanted to save our own. So I found that so egoistic and so irrealistic that I bring my voice to let them know how the face of climate change look like, explain to them how a man and woman as human being living in the same earth with them, but getting harder the climate impact than them. And telling them that each decision that they are taking today, it is impacting the life of the entire communities who are an indigenous, who are saving the 80% of the world biodiversity, who are living in the forest, savannas, glaciers, mountain, those peoples who are protecting our oceans, who are thinking about the entire world, but who are left behind in every decision making from climate change. So I remind them that they cannot take this decision without including us. So that's why my work is consists to make the advocacy based on what is happening in the ground and what is the international realities is. It is not only based on uh, or the, the people realities. So it is very unequal and it is very excluding because the term that they are using, the report that they are talking about, or the language that they are using, it is not the same we are having when we are using the environment. And I'm also telling them we are the victim, yes. We are the front line, yes. But we are also the solutions because we know better than any technology that they will create how we can protect our trees how we can restore our degraded land, how we can use the shrinking resources. So even we are fighting for, we are still the best guardian of the nature and telling them that we cannot build a sustainable solution without having the indigenous people's voices in the table with them. Mm, wow. And I know you have been a voice for the indigenous populations and for young people at many of these critical decision-making um, tables. You were a representative, one of the core representatives for the Paris Climate Agreement. You're one of just 17 people appointed to advocate for the Sustainable Development Goals. I know you've, you've received a number of different awards over the years, and obviously you are, you are very young. It's, it's extraordinary, and I'd love to hear a little bit about your leadership path. When did you realize that your voice, your perspective, your experience, your background, that, that you had a powerful voice and you needed to use it? Was there a, a certain moment in time where you recognized that? I mean, 
when I started already in my community, like being a woman, it was not easier to lead. And when I make them understand the importance of how coming together is important, how making the voice of the peoples, the real peoples that, that need the action is important, then I realize that I can make a change. And then I can influence some people when I show them the evidence and when I talk for all my people, but also for all the rest of indigenous communities that are sharing the same life that we have in my communities. So it has been a journey for me, but it's still like when you wanted to make your voice here, it's so complicated because when you get in a negotiation place, they think that you are not an expert because you don't have a PhD or you are not called a professor or uh, uh, whatever you do not speak uh, the language that they have or you write the, 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 the English for some uh, uh, mystique or whatever. So then they think also you are wearing your traditional clothes, you are coming from your community. So it's very hard to make you the place. But what's take me there, I'm like, I don't care about that. What I care, it's how I can make them understand my message, how I can show them that my peoples are suffering from the inaction that they are not taking and how I can tell them that, guide them actually, to take a right action that can change the life of my people and of many other indigenous communities. So in that help people to listen and then to say, yes, if we wanted to make our talks as action, maybe listening to the Hindu might also change something. So I have been very honored to, to, uh, to be uh, selected during the Paris Agreement signatures. And the process was just that they put it online for all the millions of the, uh, or billions of the peoples around the world. I applied on it telling them that if I come to the Paris Agreement signatures, I will share with you what is happening right now at home. I will share mm. with you also how we are using our knowledge and how we are acting without waiting for you signing this Paris Agreement. And I will tell you, if you sign it, it will be a very good action for the entire humanity. And then I just like got selected. And then I make my point as I taught you, explaining to them that we cannot talk about climate adaptation as adaptation. We need to define what is the adaptation in a real action for the peoples. And that make it a, in a very big step. And then being like nominated as one of the 17 SDG advocates also helped me to tell the world that we cannot leave anyone behind. Those who are excluded, left behind in every crisis need to be taken into consideration and be built together our transformative world. Mm, so powerful. And of course you were, as I mentioned before, nominated and selected as one of the 100 women featured in our new book, Vital Voices, 100 Women Using Their Power to Empower Alongside iconic women like Ruth Bader Ginsburg, Hillary Clinton, uh, and, and, and so many others um, from around the world. What, what do you think makes you different as a leader? Do you think as a woman, as an indigenous woman, you lead differently? What is that difference and why do you think it's so needed to tackle these issues like climate change, human rights, indigenous rights and awareness? 
I don't think that I am different than other leaders, but I think I also bring my voice to add to the rest of the leaders that are around the world. I bring the specificity of the indigenous peoples, of the indigenous women, of the indigenous girls, those who are left behind for long, for the communities who are the most vulnerable, for those who do not speak the same language, who didn't went to school, who didn't even get the chance to drink the clean water. So I bring the voice of those peoples and then not only because I bring them voice, I live with these communities. Even if I come in New York, I enter to the UN and I make a big statement in front of the head of state. When I go back home, I go to my community. I go stay with them under the trees and move with them with the cattle and drink with them the same water that's coming from the river and coming from the lake. So that's mean I understand and I live my real life with my community. And I make that trans translated into what is happening at the international level. So I think it's just like adding value to what already is uh, happening, but making it, we need action by showing them that we are in an urgent time. We can't wait anymore. And if you wait, I am here to remind you that you can't wait because my people are dying and many other indigenous peoples are already dying. To me, that is absolutely how you use your power to empower. And of course, that's what we believe so strongly is that women in that way are redefining what power and leadership is all about in, in this century. I would love just to end with one final thought from you. Obviously, these are huge challenges um, when we think about human rights abuses, when we think about climate. Uh, I think a lot of people you know, shake their head and think, well, what can I do? I'm one person. But obviously it takes all of us to lean in on these issues to really tackle them. And of course, bold leaders like you that embolden us to think in bigger ways and, and to act. What, what would be the one thing you would want people to do who are listening, who are, you know, intrigued by you, inspired by you? What would be the one thing you would want them to do? I think people who are listening, they can start reading the book of the 100 global women leaders, and they can realize that the leadership of the women can make a change. And they can also act individual action. It's very helpful, and collective action might be also very helpful. So we need all to turn our talks to the action from our home to the nature. If we protect nature, nature will protect us back. So we need all to have this concept of living in harmony with the nature. And that will help us to live in harmony between human beings and protect our planet. You are an inspiration, Hindu. Thank you so much for your time today. And um, I, I look forward to being with you in person one day soon, I hope, and certainly I hope that we will be together for the, the Generation Equality Summit and activities um, next year that were planned for this year, of course. Yes, um, let's yes. dream about it. We need yes, to let's dream about it. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. Well, thank you again and um, wishing you all the very best. Thanks for listening to this special edition of the Vital Voices podcast. 
If you'd like to support our work with women leaders who use their power to empower others, you can donate to Vital Voices on our website at vitalvoices.org, or you can text VITAL to 41444. That's VITAL to 41444. See you next week.